Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the ATS Automation Second Quarter Conference Call and Webcast. This call is being recorded on November 4, 2020 at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. Instructions will be provided at that time for you to queue up for questions. If anyone has difficulties hearing the conference, please press star followed by zero for operator assistance at any time. I'd now like to turn the call over to Stuart McQuaig, Vice President and General Counsel of ATS. Please go ahead. Thanks, Operator, and good morning, everyone. Your main hosts today are Andrew Hyder, Chief Executive Officer of ATS, and Ryan McLeod, Chief Financial Officer. Before we begin, I'm required to provide the following statement respecting forward-looking information, which is made on behalf of ATS and all of its representatives on this call. You are cautioned that the oral statements made on this call will contain forward-looking information that involves risks and uncertainties, including those introduced by the COVID-19 pandemic. The actual results could differ materially from a conclusion, forecast, or projection in the forward-looking information. Certain material factors or assumptions were applied in drawing a conclusion or making a forecast or projection as reflected in the forward-looking information. Additional information about the material factors that could cause actual results to differ materially from the conclusion, forecast, or projection in the forward-looking information and the material factors or assumptions that were applied in drawing a conclusion or making a forecast or projection as reflected in the forward-looking information are contained in ATS's filings with Canadian Provincial Securities Regulators. Now it's my pleasure to turn the call over to Andrew. Thank you, Stuart. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for joining us. Through the second quarter, we continue to focus on our operations in this new environment, the health and safety of our employees, and delivering on commitments for our customers. Our second quarter featured increased order bookings, and we finished with a strong order backlog. Operationally, we continued to improve our performance in the face of challenging business conditions. In September, we announced a reorganization plan for our transportation business that included the divestment of non-core assets. Our teams have adjusted to the new environment and are delivering value for our customers, but COVID restrictions continued to win revenues in the quarter. Today, I will focus on a few key topics, update you on business conditions, and then Ryan will provide his report. Starting with our financial value drivers, Q2 revenues were $336 million, down 2% from Q2 last year on lower services revenue due to travel restrictions and entry limitations at some customer sites. Our Q2 adjusted EBIT margin was 12%, in line last year. Q2 order bookings were $403 million, up 26% from last year. This includes a previously announced $20 million program for the design, build, delivery of automated safety syringe manufacturing systems. These systems will support and demand for routine healthcare and to treat the surge of COVID-19 patients. Moving to our outlook, we remain cautious as the pandemic appears to be far from over. Period end order backlog of $956 million provides us with a solid base of business to offset uncertainty in the short term. We're encouraged 
with quarterly booking activity. By market, activity in life sciences remained relatively robust and included new mandates related to COVID-19 responses. Other activity in medical devices, pharma, and radiopharma has remained strong. We won a number of orders that follow on current programs, as well as orders from existing accounts that have expanded our penetration with those customers. Life Sciences represented over 65% of our year-to-date bookings. We expect it will be a strong market for us over the long term. In EV, we have seen regional differences in market development. In Europe, previous investments in EV capacity and a slowdown in end market demand have caused customers to focus their efforts on cash preservations and re-examined capital and timing. In North America, some EV opportunities are moving forward, but overall transportation market activity remains challenging. In consumer, conditions remain soft. Activity improved on opportunities in warehouse automation and food, which included contributions from Marco. In energy, we continue to see activity in nuclear, including incremental demand for our digital solutions and services. Overall, our funnel remains healthy, but we expect customers to exercise caution given limited visibility on the future severity and duration of the pandemic and its economic impact. On after-sales services, revenues were down year-over-year, and this business has not yet recovered due to travel and facility entry restrictions. That said, sequentially, after-sales service revenues were up double digits compared to Q1. Q2 service bookings were up from both Q1 and Q2 last year. Despite limitations created by COVID, funnel activities for services are robust. Our regional networks and the use of digital support tools including enhanced remote support, have increased customer confidence as travel challenges continue. Moving forward, we're focused on upgrades and maintenance opportunities and digital services to ensure customers can operate at high levels of productivity in this environment. In the second quarter, we announced a reorganization plan to help offset an expected downturn in our transportation market by the pandemic. This plan includes the closure of certain transportation facilities and workforce reductions primarily in Europe and Asia and resulted in the sale of non-core assets. This will align our European capacity and cost structure to current and expected conditions in the transportation market. Ryan will provide further details on costs and time. Moving to the ABM, we've adjusted training and event methods to this new environment. Progress continues, and we have many opportunities for improvement ahead to support our growth and margin expansion plans. A few ABM highlights from the quarter. A virtual ABM boot camp held in Europe resulted in 14 ABM-related events, including two Kaizens. The resulting improvements in process and daily visual management helped enable the delivery of critical projects to customers on time, while implementing split shifts for the workforce to maximize safety of our employees and customers. Another division conducted an event focused on streamlining the coding process that yielded a 10% reduction in process time while improving quality. We launched our commercial ABM, which focuses on improving our marketing and front-end processes. This included the launch of our new ATS website and multiple marketing Kaizen events. These efforts have resulted in up-to-date increases in our digital marketing funnel by 47%. During a 
form of restricted travel and trade shows, this has proven to be instrumental on getting ATS in front of potential clients. And it has resulted in our upcoming ATS Automation Virtual Expo we are holding early December. The virtual trade show will show all ATS businesses, along with 38 of our growth suppliers. Presentations will include educational webinars that will introduce participants to automation and our core capabilities. We hope you will join us for this event. To further tie Kaizen events to progress, a year ago, we held an event that advanced the development of our critical sustainability initiatives. Our process defined what matters to our employees, customers, and shareholders in ensuring the sustainable performance of our company. As a result of that work, we published our first annual sustainability report this week. The report highlights many of the policies and practices that shape and guide our efforts, provides data on our initiatives and performance, and outlines our ongoing commitment to improve. This is an exciting milestone in our sustainability journey, and I encourage you to review the report, which is available on our website. Moving forward, we will continue to report on our sustainability commitments annually. Turning to innovation, we completed the commercial launch of Symphony, a digital manufacturing technology that improves productivity of automated assembly processes. It builds on the rapid speed matching technology that we acquired last year from Transformix. Symphony increases our capability in life sciences and other vertical markets and is a key feature in the $20 million order we secured for automated syringe manufacturing. The development and deployment of our digital service offerings are progressing as well. These products are ideally suited to the COVID environment and will serve customers well as they optimize their production processes and look to ATS to rapidly supply their needs for service and parts. We continue to prioritize investment and innovation. We recently completed work on our new ATS Innovation Center, a state-of-the-art home for our innovation team. This is a significant accomplishment for ATS and the team who supported the build. The innovation team is working on next generation ideas that will enable solution to positively impact our customers. We've also been recognized for our efforts. In the second quarter, Process Automation Group won the Fiat Chrysler Group CapEx Supplier of the Year. I'm proud of the team's efforts to ensure customer success and to achieve this recognition. Each of these initiatives, initiatives demonstrates the innovative nature of our people and our ongoing strategic focus on creating value. Moving to M&A, acquisitions have been and will continue to be an important element of ATS's growth. We have a good pipeline of prospects that has increased throughout the year. As I've outlined in the past, we evaluate acquisitions based on four criteria, the market, the strategic value of the target, how we will integrate and operate the target, and how quickly we can implement the ATS business model. And finally, the financial return. We have been engaged and continue to cultivate key areas of interest. Of course, timing will be variable, and our approach to pulling our balance sheet will be disciplined and strategic. In summary, our second quarter performance demonstrates the resiliency of our workforce in delivering our commitments. Our continued strength in bookings reflects the alignment we have with our customers and providing best-in-class solutions. We have made adjustments to 
operate in this new climate and continue to, to provide value for our customers. Going forward, we have a strong business with good backlog, a healthy balance sheet, and our ABM playbook that will enable us to create long-term their value. We're focused on putting our business in a position to succeed through this challenging period and emerging in a stronger position. Now I will turn the call over to Ryan. Ryan? Thank you, Andrew, <clears throat> and good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Our second quarter performance featured year-over-year and sequential improvement in our order bookings. Revenues and operating margins both improved over Q1, but were lower than last year. This morning, I will discuss our Q2 results, the reorganization, including timing and impact, and provide an update on our balance sheet. Starting with operating results, $3 million, up 26% compared to bookings of $321 million last year. The year-over-year increase primarily reflected new orders in life sciences and consumer. Acquired companies and foreign exchange positively impacted orders by 4% and 3% respectively. Compared to Q1, order bookings were up 24%, reflecting continued strength in life sciences and improvements in transportation, consumer, and energy. Year-to-date, bookings were $728 million, with a book-to-bill ratio of 1.1 to 1. Q2 revenues declined 2% from last year to $335.5 million. Organically, revenues decreased 7%, primarily reflecting lower after-sales services activity due to travel restrictions and limitations on access to certain customer facilities. Acquired companies and foreign exchange provided a partial offset, positively impacting revenues by 2% and 3% respectively. Sequentially, revenues increased 3.3% from Q1, primarily reflecting improved after-sales service revenues. Recall April and May service activity was impacted by the pandemic. Our Q2 ending backlog of $956 million provides us with a solid base to mitigate some of the economic fallout of the pandemic. Of note, life sciences represented 61% of our period end order backlog. While all of our market verticals have been impacted by the pandemic, life sciences has been more resilient. Approximately $10 million of our reported order backlog relates to a previously disclosed customer project on hold. Looking forward, our revenue conversion for Q3 is estimated to be in the 35 to 40% range of backlog. While we are more comfortable in our outlook today than we were last quarter, the resurgence of COVID in many geographies and continued uncertainty in the economy may impact the timing of customer decisions. We continue to operate with almost half of our workforce at home and the presence of extra health and safety measures in our facilities, both of which cause inefficiencies. Moving to margins, Q2 gross margin was 27.2%, up from 26.3% last year, despite lower after-sales services activity. Higher gross margin reflected the benefit of the Canadian Emergency Wage Subsidy, which positively impacted gross margins by approximately $2.7 million and improvements made in our cost structure and good program execution. Going forward, we expect continued pressure from operating inefficiencies and challenges executing after-sales services work in this environment. Moving to SG&A, on an basis which excludes acquisition-related amortization and restructuring charges, 
Q2's SG&A of $50.1 million was $2 million higher than Q2 last year. Higher SG&A reflected incremental costs from acquired companies and the translation of foreign subsidiaries costs, partially offset by a $1 million benefit from the Canadian wage subsidy. After the reorganization we announced in September, this plan is intended to help mitigate the impact of a downturn uh, in the transportation market due to COVID. Total restructuring costs are expected to be approximately $14 million, which is down from our initial estimate of $24 million, reflecting the recently completed sale of assets and transfer of employees from our German-based subsidiary to the buyer. $8 million was incurred in Q2, with the balance expected to be incurred in our third fiscal quarter. Of the $14 million expected costs, approximately $5 million are non-cash expenses. Second quarter stock compensation expense was $1 million, up from a $1 million recovery in Q2 last year. Our effective tax rate was 25% in the quarter, consistent with our expectations. Finance costs were up by $1.3 million in Q2, primarily due to the $250 million cash draw on our credit facility, which was repaid during the second quarter. Q2 adjusted EPS was $0.26, cents, down from $0.29 cents last year. Revenues, increased SG&A, and higher stock compensation expenses accounted for the decrease. Moving to the balance sheet, in Q2, we generated cash from operations of $20.3 million compared to $57.6 million last year. Year-to-date, we've generated cash from operations of $67.3 million, up from $17.6 million last year, primarily reflecting the timing of investments in non-cash working capital. Our cash collections remain strong, reflecting the strategic relationship we have with our customers. Our non-cash working capital as a percentage of revenue was 13.1% in Q2, up from 12% in Q1. Timing of deposits and program milestones caused the increase. Based on the strength of our bookings in Q2 and the payment terms on those programs, I expect that we will see our working capital as a percentage of revenues below 15% in the short term. We invested $5.7 million in CapEx and intangible assets in Q2, down from $13.2 million last year. Higher investments last year related to the expansions of certain facilities. As a reminder, as planned, our CapEx budget this fiscal year is in the range of $30 million. Year-to-date, we have spent $11.5 million. From a standpoint, we finished the quarter with a net debt to adjusted EBITDA ratio of 1.3 to 1. We have further room to deploy capital to pursue our strategies within our normal course target leverage range of up to two to two and a half times. We ended the quarter with good liquidity consisting of cash of $163 million and availability on our credit facility of approximately $750 million. In the second quarter, we amended our primary credit facility and extended its maturity to August of 2022. Combined with 2023 U.S. dollar bonds, we have adequate credit availability for the next several years. In summary, our second quarter featured strong performance by our business despite the difficult environment. Our teams have done an excellent job in meeting customer needs while maintaining a safe working environment. The investments we've made in our operations, including innovation, capacity for our life sciences business, our services organization, 
and training our people in ABM and continuous improvement will serve us well as conditions normalize. The reorganization activity will improve our cost structure to manage through this environment and enable us to focus our investments towards higher return generating businesses. We have a healthy order backlog, a strong balance sheet, and available liquidity that combine to provide us with a solid foundation to pursue our growth strategies. Now we will open the call to questions from our analysts. Operator, could you please provide instructions? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now conduct a question and answer session. To allow as many voices to be heard as possible, please limit yourself to two questions per turn. If you have a question, please press star followed by the number one on your touchtone phone. Your questions will be pulled in the order they are received. Please ensure you lift your handset if you're using a speakerphone before pressing any keys. Our first question is from Mark Neville with Scotiabank. Your line is open. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, first good morning, off, Mark. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. First off, great quarter. Uh, well done. Um, if I could just start on the margin, um, you know, your gross margin's up 280 basis points quarter over quarter. Um, I'm just sort of, I guess I'm just trying to understand how much of that is mixed, whether it be life sciences or greater aftermarket work, how much is you know, from past restructuring. I guess what I'm ultimately trying to get at here is sort of, is this a good starting point uh, for going forward or is there something that may cause it to step down a bit um, in coming quarters? Yeah, so so again, good morning, Mark. I'll, I'll walk through um, some of the factors that that have uh, kind of impacted our Q2 margins versus Q1. So first on the negative, the the weight strategy was was down in the quarter by about just under three million dollars. Um, on the positive side, we did have uh, more services work in the quarter. So I talked a little bit. Uh, last quarter and in, in this quarter about how April and May were particularly uh, difficult from an after-sales services standpoint. So that was a positive contributor to our Q2 margins. And then the rest was, was really good program management, uh, volume, and, and the improvements we've made to our cost structure. And if I were to quantify them, the services was about a third of the increase uh, versus Q1. And the balance would be program um, management volume and improvements to our cost structure. Okay. Um, so yeah, I guess that you know when I think about going forward, it's a life science is 61 percent of your business. Aftermarket keeps growing. You get more scale, or you leverage the with the, with the higher volumes even for the coming quarter. Um, there's no reason to think why there would be any significant step down. I mean, I'm not going to provide um, sure. guidance on our margins going forward, but um, you, you know, the the factors I walked through. Yeah. Um, so the wage subsidy, we will see a decrease this quarter. Uh, right. Services, it's still a challenging environment to to execute right. work for, in um, in after sales services. Um, okay. You know, program management. Yeah, I expect that's going to continue to be strong going forward. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and I can ask you a question, um, maybe on the restructuring. Um, again, I can appreciate there's some weakness in transportation, but I guess our view is that it's not structural and, and exposure to EVs is a good thing. And, you know, maybe having capacity there would be a good thing. So maybe just your thoughts around 
uh, or maybe just comments around that. Um, again, if you know, a year from now, if you know the markets, the automotive markets will be back, and again, EVs keep growing. Is there sort of any risk that you know, maybe you don't have enough capacity? Um, so yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Mark, let me start saying this is this is not an exit from EV. More specifically, actually, it's in alignment to, to what we do best in EV, which is sell the module and module to pack assembly, and aligning around that. The, the specific division or divisions that were impacted, primarily the one in Europe, was a traditional ICE business, and they had done call it with a couple customers some some EV work. And when we looked at the ICE impact and we looked at what was going on in Europe, we really right-sized the region for what we view as the potential for that, for that space. And so to summarize, we don't view this as a limitation going forward. And for the relationships that we want to keep, we're going to continue to keep. Okay. Uh, if I can just ask one last question just before getting back into you, just on capital allocation. Again, I'm just curious about sort of what your thoughts on the buyback with the stock being where it is. I'm not sure where it's at this morning, but stock where it is and, um, maybe just on again on M and A, you provided some commentary, but um, maybe just um, uh, maybe asking your, your your appetite for actually doing something sort of in this environment, um, not just cultivating. Um, thanks. Yeah, so so Mark, I'll start. Um, <clears throat> we do. Uh, I mean, as you're aware, have the NCIB in place, and and we've been active in in employing that that tool. And that will continue. Um, sorry, just on M and A. Sorry. Yeah, no. So that's the NCIB. It will continue, and and it's coming up for renewal. And and assuming we've got alignment with the board, we will plan to continue that. Um, as far as as far as M and A, Mark, you know, I mentioned it in my my opening comments. It, it is it is an area that we are focused on and continue to be an important element at ATS, and and we have a good pipeline that has increased. Some of the interesting dynamics of, of the COVID uh, pandemic is that the shift to, to video calls and the ability to cultivate through that has actually increased. Um, aligning schedules is always a challenge, and, and I would say that we've, we've increased, and we, are, we, we have a healthy funnel and, and an executable funnel. And so we are going to be true to our four, which is the market, the, the, the strategic value, how we will integrate and operate, and financial return. Uh, but it, we are absolutely aligned, and, and you know, as a standpoint, we view ATS's footprint as being a key enabler here. Uh, when when we see an opportunity, and whether it's Europe or, or, or North America or, or Asia, we have the ability to be on site because we've got a footprint in the region, and it really does set us aside and allows us to really cultivate and or assess the business. Uh, one one last, and I forgot to mention this. Uh, additionally, uh, Phil Whitehead, who is on our board, has been named uh, chair of the strategic uh, committee focused on M&A, and that's also really really been helpful and aligned with with where we want to drive this. And so, really pleased with that change, and it's and it's uh, a continuation of our focus and uh, and efforts. All right, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Our next question comes from Justin Keywood with Diesel GMP. Your line is open. Good morning, and thank you for taking my call. Uh, nice to see the resilience in the business in the quarter. Thanks. Good morning, Justin. Morning, Justin. Yeah, I had a question on the order bookings. Uh, there was mention of, you know, some related to uh, for the fight 
of COVID-19. I'm just wondering how repeatable are these orders uh, just in the COVID-19 uh, area? Like, does the, the funnel activity remain robust? Yeah, so, so I'll take this in a couple of ways. And first, the funnel activity is robust. Um, you know, we don't we don't characterize how, how you know percentage uh, of our funnel, but it is a, it is a meaningful percentage of the life sciences funnel. Uh, second, it's it's a dynamic area because as we look at this syringe manufacturing process, this is nor this could be considered normal course and the fight against COVID. And so, uh, we view that as an area that we say we can we can help regard this with these customers on whether they're they're increasing their output, reducing their supply chain risk, uh, onshoring, or in the fight. COVID. And so this really plays to the area that ATS does best. And as a reminder, you know, our, our key areas are first, our technology and innovation. Uh, second, our experience. Uh, third, our ability to execute. Uh, the, the, the project we announced early in the year that went from 40 weeks down to 14 and, and up and running. Uh, just, just a testament to the team's engagement and, and, and a footprint is also a key element because customers look for support over the life of the equipment. And so uh, we view this as an attractive area, but we also view that this area is, is, is playing to what ATS does best, and, and we view this as a continuation. Absolutely, and understood. And then on the services uh, revenue, it seems to be there's a few moving parts. Uh, like, you know, there's some pressure in, in the revenue, but, uh, you know, there's mention that the uh, funnel and, and backlog remains robust. and. And I assume that the, the equipment has to be serviced at, at some point. So, like, just looking, you know, kind of into next year, is, is there going to be an inflection point where, you know, maybe that, that revenue you know, starts to trend, you know, back up to the double-digit growth area? Or, or it, you know, with the restrictions in place, does it still remain a bit unclear when that will happen? Um, so I'll start with just saying restrictions do create a change. And, and our view is, is you know, I, and I know I mentioned this on a call earlier, one of the things we, we realized early on in the pandemic was the inability to travel. And we launched our remote support tool. And we've got a, many customers that are aligned around that. And it helps them continue their process, but then also ATS to support. Uh, we view that this is a business that's going to get back on track. Timing is going to be variable. And I'm not here to call the pandemic timing. What I can tell you is, really solid bookings quarter for this section of the business. Uh, the funnel remains healthy, and we're going to continue to, to overcome obstacles to support our customer base. And, and maybe, Justin, just to add on to that as well, <clears throat> some of the service work we booked this quarter is is refurb work, and, and that, that can either be done on or can be shipped back to our facility and, and done in one of our facilities, which is, uh, which is the case. Um, so, so that's another area of the business that, that's as direct of the services business specifically. That's not as direct acted by by travel restrictions today. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you. That's helpful. Those are my two questions. And again, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. And we do have another question from Mark Neville with Scotia Bank. Your line is open. Hey guys, if I can just follow up on the the aftermarket discussion, uh, the after after sales service, do you have a rough sort of estimate for us how much of that business would be uh, parts versus 
um, remote or digital or software-based? Um, so I believe uh, I believe parts is going to be less than 25% of that number, um, and and digital is going to be something less than that as well. And the remainder would be what? Uh, the remainder would be would be on-site support, refurbishment okay. work, modifications. Your next question is from Mac Wild. Cormac, your line is open. Hi, uh, just quickly on on the conversion. When you look at the, the backlog, and I know you don't usually go into the different um, the, the the conversion of that backlog on a segmented basis, but when you go back and look at it, uh, there's been some change. Uh, and I'm wondering if that's sustainable in the future, like in terms of the amount of revenue that you're getting out of the back that you're that you're getting out of consumer for instance and and uh, and the lower levels that you see in life science I guess it's understandable given how the different sizes and how much those have changed but I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit about the nature of the business and whether that there's something permanent we changed here because of the nature of the orders you got so 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 there's there's nothing permanent. Um, I, I mean, our, our backlog conversion is is really driven by the specific backlog uh, projects we have in backlog and 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 the timing of those projects. So, um, you know, when we have when we have larger enterprise orders, some of those can be 12, 18, even 24 months. Um, in in consumer uh, specifically, we do have some shorter duration projects in that backlog. Uh, that, that we've had over the last couple of quarters, um, but but I wouldn't say any of this is is permanent. It, it's really just a of of the orders that we're we're executing at any given time. Okay, okay. So and I, I thought perhaps that the nature of some of the life sciences orders there may have been sort of a need to expedite that, whereas maybe in some of the other work would have been. Um, you know, you talk about sometimes the, the, the customer timing being pushed out in some senses, um, but well, I guess we should we should look at it more on a yearly basis. I know we should kind of get into each quarter, but I just was curious because it's relatively consistent up until the last in the last couple quarters. Yeah, so so uh, certainly the last uh, couple of quarters with some of the COVID-related programs, and Andrew talked about. Uh, the test kit order that was executed in 14 weeks. I, I mean, that's that's a very unusual schedule. Um, so, so there has been some of that recently. But, but you're right. I, there's in terms of looking uh, at a specific quarter, there's nothing from a from a change in business or permanent trend that that I would draw from this. Um, it, it's best to look at this over the long term. Yeah, and and then just to follow up on that, is there an implication on margin when that happens? Like, what, do you recoup any additional costs to sort of deliver more quickly than you would normal, normally be able to or normally scheduled to do? Does that, do you, do you bear more costs to that or do you pass that through in the contract pricing? Well, so, so there's no additional, um, I'm not sure if I'm going to exactly answer your question here, but there's no additional costs um, 
based on the size of a project or, or margin difference necessarily. If we're accelerating a project, there might be additional costs related to uh, working two shifts or um, you know deploying additional people on it. Um, but but those would be factors to the bid. From an overall efficiency standpoint, the quicker we can get projects in and get them through our factory and out customers, there's a benefit to that, of course. But but from a specific project by project basis, it all gets factored in when we're when we're bidding on the work. And, okay. and at times, Mac, there there is areas where they'll have an early delivery uh, back to, to the programs, but it's certainly something that we would we would drive to and ensure we've got a lot before you know before we would uh, move forward on the contract. Okay. And then just <clears throat> following up on the on the whole um, business model and the the changes that they've been made there in this new way of operating that you that you've had to deal with over the last couple of quarters. It, do do you expect a pace of like the Kaizen events or any continuous improvement? Do you expect that there may be an effect down the road of less of those, less impact from those, or less benefit from those, or 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 do you expect that the changes that have been made will will allow you to continue at the same pace? Yeah. So so. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not going to provide future guidance here, but what I can tell you is uh, th this team has just adapted and, and continues to adapt to overcome obstacles. Um, you know, and I talked a little bit about it in my opening remarks, remarks around the commercial ABM. And, and boy, it's just exciting times to watch how the team aligns around this, really drives to the key metrics. And, and you know, I just, I utilized one metric, but 47% digital marketing funnel increase. And yeah, it's it's certainly a starting point was was low, but the team is very focused on execution. And so I would say it took us a little bit to understand how to do virtual Kaizens and, and adapt. But when I say a little bit, we overcame those obstacles very quickly and aligned around the, the true areas of focus. And we're now holding boot camps, we're now holding Kaizen events, we're now holding uh, global global events where we can really maximize our performance. And I guess following on to that, the, the potential then is that even with even if things were to go back to normal, there's probably a lot of things that you that you'll probably retain and might actually be uh, allow you to be even more efficient in the future. Is that do you feel the same way? Uh, I do, I do. You know, and 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 I, I know I'm pointing to this again, but the commercial ABM piece it, mm -hmm. is a area, and and our sales team is, you know, they do amazing selling ATS and ensuring that the value we bring to customers is aligned to their needs. And, and this is only going to help them. And so we've, we've got a great team and they continue to focus on their father. Excellent. Thanks, guys. Your next question is from Maxim Sertruf with National Bank. Your line is open. Hi, good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Max. Um, uh, Andrew, now that um, you know we're, we're getting close to uh, two years on, on Commercer, um, was wondering if, if you don't mind maybe sort of sharing some um, uh, some of the takeaways from from that transaction. I, I don't know if you're willing to uh, discuss you know some financial metrics uh, and maybe provide a bit of an update regarding uh, the radio pharma market in general, if it's possible. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I'll start, and then then I'll certainly turn it over to Ryan to add here. Um, so a, a couple things, and, and you know, you know, Max, um, one of the 
we've grown very comfortable on and is our ability to integrate. And, you know, it was one of the, the, the bigger acquisitions since I've been on, an alignment to integration, ensuring that we can maximize the value with, with Commissar. And, and as a reminder, you know, the, the thesis going in, the reason why we really love this business is not only the, the radio pharmaceutical space, but then also the to, to work with ATS on, on joint projects. And uh, what I can tell you is, is uh, they're at or above expectations. And uh, when, when you look at the radio pharma market, it continues to have attractive aspects. Um, one of the lessons learned, I would say, is we didn't really explain the market as well as we should have around cancer treatment, ca- cancer identification, and the growth of, of uh, isotopes that impact that space and, and really align so, so people could understand the way that Comachair really provides value in the space around isotopes, around identification, and then ultimately treatment. And they continue to be the leader, and, and they're growing at a, at a very fast pace within that area. But then additionally, and, and this will be my last point before I turn it over to Ryan, it is aligned around this, this aseptic filling. And, um, you know, we announced the joint win uh, with ATS. Uh, we, we, we obviously don't, don't have the ability to announce the customer. It was a very big win, and we view that there's, there's follow-on work, and, and I've been in meetings with, with customers on these follow-on opportunities that really aligns to, to, to how we wanted to move with the business. So um, all in all, we're very pleased with the progress, very pleased with the performance, and it really has built our confidence and, and a lot of lessons learned through the integration, but, but really taking those into to future acquisitions. Brad, anything you would add to uh, to my update? Well, I, I'm not going to get into too many specifics, but um, you know their their bookings have grown double digits, um, particularly on, on strength in North America, which was uh, a large part of our thesis when when we bought the business, and, and their margins have expanded as well. And it's been a combination of operational efficiencies, uh, good progress on supply chain, and this uh, this team has really really adopted and driven the ATS business model and, and done a really good job uh, improving the, the financial performance over the last 18 months. Okay, that's that's super helpful and agreed. I mean, obviously, an excellent asset. And maybe, Andrew, just uh, uh, closing the loop around M&A, um, any color, because I, I think the last time we spoke, um, you know, there's a bit of a gap between, you know, what, what the sellers are, are willing to accept in terms of multiples or what, you know, forward EBITDA they feel comfortable with. Uh, Where's that discussion point now? Are are we getting closer to uh, sort of meeting somewhere in the middle, or how would you characterize, you know, these conversations? I mean, look, uh, our funnel is healthy here, and we've got a lot of conversations going on. And what I can tell you is multiples for for good assets continue to be at at a decent level. And and what I can state is that we've got the four variables that we align around and ensuring that that the financial return is one of them. And our team is, you know, Max, when I first came on, we were building out our team at at corporate to to really enable and and drive M&A and engage and go through the process. And we've got KPIs around this. Further that, We've, we've really started to align the business units to, to cultivate. And, and those are some of the best cultivators because they, they get and engage with businesses in areas that, that we want to target and markets we want to target. And so I would view that as a strength for us moving forward, and it's got to be something that we continue to leverage as we, as we build out this plan. Okay, fair enough. Thank you.
again, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star followed by the number 1 on your telephone keypad. Your next question is from Justin Keywood with CFL GMP. Your line is open. Hi. I just had a question of clarification. Uh, the reduced restructuring charge uh, from 25 to $14 million, does that include any cash in the door from the divestiture, or is that accounted uh, separately? Uh, that that includes the cash proceeds from the the assets we sold. Yes. Okay, and that number that's um, do you anticipate any other changes, or that's uh, pretty sound as it is? Uh, at this time, I don't anticipate any changes to that number. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Mr. Hinder, there are no further questions at this time. Please continue. Thanks, operator. I look forward to reporting our Q3 results in February, but I want to take a moment to state I can't be more proud of the great work the HM is doing, and it certainly shows in our results. Thank you for joining us today. Stay safe, and goodbye for now. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.